0: So, uh, looking into part four, part four of this series called "Invitation to the Feast," I'm just wondering, uh, what have you been listening to lately, or what have you been reading lately? I know some of you read, and some of you like listen to podcasts or books on audio. What have you been listening or watching lately? Uh, a book I've been uh, listening to on audio is this book by John Grisham. It's called "A Painted House." Now, uh, John Grisham, any of you read J- John Grisham? Usually, like, legal suspense uh, thrillers, uh, like, uh, you know, the, the Firm, The Client, Runaway Jury, Pelican Brief, back in the day. But this book, A Painted House, is, is not a legal thriller, a courtroom thriller. This book, A Painted House, is about a farming family in Arkansas in 1952. And they've got, like, an 80-acre cotton farm, 80 acres that they rent. And you watch them over a period of six weeks as they are trying to get their cotton harvest in. Uh, the story is told through the eyes of a seven-year-old son, Luke Chandler, and yes, the seven-year-old is out there every single day uh, picking uh, cotton, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, and they have the help of a hill family that have come out of the Ozarks on down, there's some uh, Mexican migrant workers that they also employ, and it's this race to get the harvest in, 1952. Now, it what's difficult to get our brains around, see, when, when we harvest cotton today, it looks a lot like, lo- like this. And it's difficult to imagine that just seven decades ago, 70 years ago, much much of cotton harvest was like this, and kids were included, and you would have a picking bag, and you would walk some long row, and the bag would get heavier and heavier and heavier as you would pull it down these rows, picking cotton. So you watch, in Grisham's book, you watch the Chandler family fighting, battling, stifling heat, Stifling humidity, sun up to sundown, day after day, to try to get this cotton harvest in. Now, that might just be Arkansas, a few states away, and that might be just uh, several decades ago, 1950s. But I'm telling you, looking at that picture, doesn't that feel like another world? Like you're seeing something from it's another, it's another planet, it's another world. And I think it's important for me to start us there today. Because I have to remember that when, when I open my Bible, I am entering another world. It's a largely agricultural. There is no machinery. Everything is done by hand. And in the culture that we live in, most of us not from farming families, or if they were from farming families, probably machinery was involved. Uh, we've lost our like, sense of anxiety about getting a crop in. We've lost our sense of relief when everything is finally harvested and in a barn. But traveling back to the world of the Bible, largely agricultural, everything done by hand, we can understand how annually there were major feasts, major festivals to celebrate different aspects of the harvest. And so throughout the series, we've been showing this, uh, this graphic right here, which just kind of shows the three major feasts of Israel. And these three major feasts, Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Tabernacles, were three different agricultural festivals. Uh, Passover was the very beginning of your harvest season, when you would harvest your barley. Uh, then Pentecost would come, and you're wrapping up all of your grain harvest. And then uh, Tabernacles there, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, you would be wrapping up your, uh, w- the harvest that came from your trees. Uh, the pomegranates, uh, figs, uh, olives, uh, and also your grape harvest would come much later, and that's the Festival of Tabernacles that we get to talk about today. What, what comes to your mind when you hear the word tabernacle? tabernacle. Maybe you think a a cathedral or some fancy church building or something like that. Listen, the word tabernacle means shelter, uh, like tent. The feast of tabernacles was the feast of shelters. Sometimes it's called the feast of booths, because families would go to Jerusalem for this festival, and for a week, they'd live in one of these. They would literally build a little hut and it would often be made of uh, branches, palm branches, myrtle trees, other kinds of branches, and you would live in this hut. Listen, uh, Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles was a national campout. Now, that one, looks kinda simple. This next one's a little more uh, complicated, a little fancier, but you live in the idea. I'm telling you, as a little kid, this would have been my favorite feast. Build a out for a week. If you live in Jerusalem, you probably built one of these up on your flat roof, if you're a guest from outside of town, you would move into some uh, orchard somewhere and set one of these up, relatives, friends, family. It was a national camp out that celebrated the fall harvest. The Feast of Tabernacles means the Feast of Shelters, the Feast of Booths, and uh, Booths, not Boos, the Feast of <laughs> Booths, Booths, Booths. And so, uh, but there's a thread, there's a thread that runs through the conversation today we're going to look at four different angles of the feast of tabernacle but the thread that runs through is the thread of thanking God for his provision thanking God for the fact that he provides we remember that when Jesus disciples uh, Peter, Andrew, James, John they they come to Jesus and they say would you teach us how to pray and Jesus said, okay, when you pray, pray something like this. And what he says, we know it as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Next line, give us this day our daily bread. Father, our Father in heaven, please provide today the things we need today. Embedded in the Lord's Prayer is this request that God would provide each day what we need For that day. My hope for you today as we study the Feast of the Tabernacles together and as we explore this rich festival and holiday, my hope for you is that you have an encounter with the God who provides. My hope is that some of you might be awakened to the fact that God is providing for you right now, even if you're unaware that it's His good hand that is providing for you, but how God provides in the present. I think in the course of this conversation, some of you are going to look back to a very difficult time in your past, and you're going to able to reflect and recognize that God provided for you in the past during a very difficult season. So God provides in the present, God provided in the past, and I just hope that some of you have a kind of an emerging or growing trust that God will provide for you in the future. I don't know what you're staring down as we close out the year together. I just imagine that there are dozens, dozens of us that are looking into next year, and you're looking at something that's potentially pretty scary in your life. And you're living in a season of uncertainty, and we hate uncertainty. What if today in this conversation about the God who provides, what if God would bolster your trust and you would just hear his voice whisper, whatever you're going to experience, whatever you're going to face, listen, I'll meet you there. Just that simple prayer from the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. God, if I hit that difficult, challenging, awful and ugly moment, I will trust that you will provide each and every day whatever I need that day. Meet me there. My hope for us today as we talk about the Feast of the Tabernacles, four angles on the Feast of the Tabernacles, is that you would have a refreshing encounter with a generous God who loves to provide. So uh, angle number one, I just called angle number one harvest home, harvest home. The expression harvest home is just uh, joy and thanksgiving that emerges from someone's heart when crops are out of the field and into the barn. The crops are out of the field and into the barn. And this links us to the uh, Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, I'm going to be reading from Deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 13. These are instructions on this Feast of the Shelters, Feast of the Tabernacles. Celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles for how long? For seven days, week-long festival after you have gathered, and check this out, two things. After you've gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your what? And your wine press. Celebrate this thing for seven days. Go to Jerusalem, build a shelter, live in one of these shelters, celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, after you have uh, completed the threshing floor work and also the wine press work. Now, there's two images here, just uh, there's a grain on the left and there's like pomegranates, uh, apples, grapes on the right. When it says uh, from threshing floor to uh, wine press, what's happening here is you're looking at the entire scope of the year. Because those first grains would have been harvested six months before, and then there's a second uh, grain harvest. And then your tree harvest and your vine harvest. And uh, now, it, it's, now you're just going, done. But you're looking on the entire agricultural year. At, from threshing floor to grape harvest. And so, um, it's a pomegranate. Pomegranate here. The pomegranates are no longer on the trees. They are now stored. Done. Uh, The grapes. The grapes are no longer growing on vines. The grapes are harvested. You have smashed them into juice and now they are in wineskins fermenting. And when all the grapes are off the vines and uh, transition into wine, and now in wineskins, there's just a sense of done. When you pick your final olives and the olives are crushed and now you have jars of olive oil there's just this sense of whew, done can you feel it now, okay play along with me here and our campuses as well i just want you to go i just want to make a sound and then one sound and one word just whew, done ready ready it's an all skate ready whew, done okay one more time ready Done, that's what they feel like. It's harvest home, out of the field, into the barn. When do you feel like that? Done. You ever feel like that in your world? As students, last paper completed in a semester, last test taken, moving toward Christmas break, when that last paper is turned in, you walk out of your last exam just, done, but this isn't just students. Dude decides that he is going to finish his basement alone. Do it yourself. Pulls the permits, begins the work, framing the walls, maybe calls in a couple specialty contractors and perhaps a brother-in-law with more skills than he has. And then there's that moment where you get your final inspection and a months-long process of so working evenings and Saturdays, whittling away at this, just done. I know some of you are thinking, so everything, are thinking, Jeff, we started remodeling our basement in the Clinton administration and <laughs> still working on it. Done. I'm imagining that those of you who prepare taxes, maybe somewhere around April 15, there's just done. And some of you who are in a sport, It's long, started with practices and then games. Those of you who have a child in sports and it's a travel team, you come to that point where you will no longer have to take those exotic weekend trips to places like Toledo. (laughs) And there's the final banquet and just there's just, done. That's what you're experiencing in the fall harvest in Israel. It's harvest home, everything out of the field, and into the barn, done, but not quite done. Not done done. Because they weren't really done (laughs) until they said thank you. And that's what Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Shelters was about. Uh, Angle number two is just about giving thanks. Angle number two is about giving thanks. So the verse in Deuteronomy that we looked at, I'm just gonna go down uh, two verses from there. Uh, Verse 15 of Deuteronomy chapter 16. It says, now for seven days, it's a week-long festival, for seven days, check this out, celebrate the festival, interesting, to the Lord your God, at the place the Lord will choose. Now they didn't know it yet, but this was gonna be Jerusalem. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest, and in the works of your hands, and your joy will be complete." What I want you to notice there is that the Lord your God is mentioned twice. The distinction I wanna make is this, is there's there's a difference between giving thanks for something, I'm thankful for that, I'm thankful for that, I'm thankful for that, and giving thanks to someone. And this was like in the fall harvest, you wrap up the fall harvest and on the same week, all of these pilgrims, all of these travelers, they head down to Jerusalem, bringing some of the produce that they had grown and harvested. And it's this just this collective moment of thank you. The, the, the grain that we harvested. This means we're going to have bread during the winter. Thank you. Pomegranates, that intense flavor burst from a pomegranate. Thank you. The olive oil that we will now dip our bread in during the winter months, thank you. The grapes, some of these will be table grapes that we enjoy in our homes. Some of these will be crushed and we will have wine throughout the winter months, thank you. The the, the festival of shelters, the Feast of Tabernacles was a collective national thank you. And your joy will be complete. Is there something about giving thanks that... And it completes the whole harvest process. Now, it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to imagine a farming family back in the day just kind of like going, Thank you. What do you mean, thank you? I did this. I plowed the field, and it was hot, and it was long, and I planted the wheat, and I harvested the wheat. What do you mean, thank you? I, I did this. I mean, what, what, what do you mean, thank you? I planted that little, tiny grapevine, and I fertilized it, and I nurtured it, and then I pruned it, and I harvested the grapes, and our family smashed the grapes into wine. What, what, what do you mean, thank you? I did this. Ditto with the olive oil. I planted the olive tree. I harvested the olives. We crushed it into olive oil. Thank you. I did this. I did this. It's true, sort of. you're someone with a really, really strong work ethic, you did a lot of it. But there are certain things that you can't take credit for. You know, some things, you know I'm talking about here? The things out of your control? Like, um, like the rain? No rain. No crop. No rain, no harvest. I mean, rain, rain is life and drought is death. It doesn't matter how hard you work out there in the field. If your gracious God doesn't send the rain, I, uh, grapes, grapes are mostly water. Uh, can, I, can I talk to some of you for a moment? Can I talk to those of you who work really? really really hard it's a bunch of you some of you go jeff i started working in my younger years of high school and i never stopped maybe i work. some of you have worked incredibly hard at getting out of debt you've worked uh, and you've achieved and you've excelled in sports in music in business in your calling in your career in your vocation in your trade can, can i talk to those of you who are really 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 hard workers arrogance, (laughs) arrogance is an anti-God state of mind. That's why our Bible guides us with the words that God resists the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. And what I'm talking about here is the humility just to be able to say, I worked really, really hard and I'm satisfied about that, but... There were things, there were opportunities. There were opportunities that came out of my control. Uh, it, 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 kind of being in the right place at the right time, the the, the the right coach, the right opportunities. God, I work hard, but I have advantages and opportunities. There is the rain. <laughs> Thank you for the rain in my life that has allowed me to prosper. And so what I want to encourage here is a deep satisfaction over a day's work well done with the humility to say, but thank you, but thank you, thank you for the rain. Thank you for those opportunities that were outside of my control. Can I show you something? I want to show you a warning. I need you to travel with me. I need you to travel with me to the desert. There's a time in Israel's history. Egypt is off to the left, and uh, they, the Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt for generation. And then up around the right-hand side there, that's Canaan. Uh, that's the land of promise. But while they, are, they have left Egypt, they are not yet in Canaan, but they're moving toward Canaan. And Canaan was often called Some of you will know this. Uh, Canaan was often called the land flowing with milk and honey, the land flowing with milk and honey. Things grew there. Things prospered there. And it is while they're in the desert on their way to Canaan that they get a warning. And the warning is this. You're going to get to Canaan, and stuff's going to grow, and your crops of sheep and goats are going to get larger, and you're going to collect this harvest, and you're going to go, I did this. I did this. And so you're going to say to yourself, and so this is what uh, they're reminded of. This is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. You're going to say, you know something? My power. You know, the strength of my hands produces wealth for me. And there's this, oh, my goodness, warning. Remember God. And it comes in the next verse where it says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the what? It is he who gives you the ability to produce Well, this is deep satisfaction over hard work flavored with a strong dose of humility expressed in thanksgiving. It is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. This is why they have the Feast of Tabernacles. Every year, there was an annual timeout collectively to travel to Jerusalem and take a moment to say, I know where my stuff comes from. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I know where my stuff comes from. Second angle of the Feast of Tabernacles is giving thanks. But, but, but it wasn't just giving thanks for uh, the harvest that they had just taken in, you know, out of the field into the barn. Another element Of Feast of the Tabernacles, another angle, had to do with a former time in their history where God had provided for them huge. So it wasn't just the immediate Thanksgiving. It was Thanksgiving looking in the rear view mirror looking back. So uh, angle three just has to do with looking back. Now, Uh, Week one of the series, we talked about how each of these three festivals, uh, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, had like two different elements to focus on. And uh, one element had to do with the harvest. The other element had to do with their history. So you would show up in Jerusalem to celebrate the agricultural harvest, but you would also show up in Jerusalem to remember something, your collective memory from the past. Uh, You'd remember an event from your story as a people. So here's the question. What event did the shelter feast, Feast of Tabernacles, look back on and remember in their history? Okay, clue. They're living in these things right here. They're living in these makeshift outdoor shelters for a week. And as they moved into these shelters, they were supposed to recall something from their history as a people. And what they were supposed to recall... uh, We're going to move over here from Deuteronomy over to Leviticus, which also talks about this shelter feast, Feast of the Tabernacles. And this is what you find in Leviticus. It says, live in temporary shelters. And again, it's a week-long festival for seven days, so that your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. A kid comes up to his dad and says, "Uh, uh, why are we living in this? shelter for a week. And dad and mom, they're supposed to say, because we're supposed to remember how God provided for us when we were in the desert. Now, back to that map that we looked at a week ago, they leave Egypt, they're heading toward Canaan. They were in the wilderness, not for a few weeks. They were in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years in the desert. Listen, the desert is about shortage. The desert wants to kill you. It's like being in the wilderness, being in the desert is about being in space where you don't have what you need for your survival. And so during this time in the desert, there's there's one story from the desert where the people don't have water. They're dehydrated. I can just remember crying kids. I can remember, you know, just imagine panicky parents. And literally Moses, their leader, takes his walking stick. Do, Do you remember where they get water from? What does he hit with the walking stick? Any of you know this story? He hits a rock, and water gushes from the rock. Is is it just me, or does that seem strange to you? Water from a rock is like water from nowhere. Water from the rock is like water from nothing. And they're supposed to remember this when they lived in the shelters for an entire week. God provided us in the desert. He brought water from a rock. And then uh, bread... There was this substance that would land in the ground every morning, like little flakes, and they'd take the flakes and uh, crush them and then add water and make a porridge or bake it into loaves of bread. And the stuff was called manna. And each and every day they would go out and collect this manna. But manna to them, it it was like bread from heaven, water from the rock, Bread from heaven, a child asked, a daughter asked, why are we doing this? And the parent says, because we're never so supposed to forget how God provided for us in the desert. See, it looked back on God's provision. Listen, um, desert space. Desert space. All of us are going to be there at one time or another. I'm talking about the desert of loneliness, the loneliness that consumes you, the barren wasteland of grief, where you lose somebody and it doesn't go away real fast. You're talking here the wilderness of deep disappointment or disappointment after disappointment after disappointment and you feel just like you're in this desert space. The trauma of cancer accompanied by the nausea of chemo. Desert space. The incident or accident that knocked you off your feet. And you just can't seem to get your balance back. All of us in a broken and fallen world, all of us, each and every one of us, will have times when we find ourselves crossed in the desert, when we find ourselves in the wilderness. And something I just want to say loudly and clearly is that God provides in the desert. That God loves to provide when we find ourselves in desert space. Uh, some years back, uh, I wrote this book called The Land Between, and The Land Between was all about navigating desert space in our life. An entire section of the book was on how God chooses to provide for us when we're in the desert. And if we just went around from room to room, there would be people who would say, I went to this desert and God provided what I needed. God provided sometimes just the strength to make it through a day and God provided. Some would say it was awful and it was ugly and I got this card or I got this call and the Carter call came from a friend, but it felt like God was whispering, I see you, I remember you. And it was like, It was like a manna moment (laughs) when God fed you through the encouragement of others and God provided for you. Sometimes it was money where money from an unexpected source landed at just the right time. I I know, you can chalk it up to coincidence, but it was just too perfect in timing and it was just kind of like, thank you. It was a manna moment God provided in the wilderness. He provided a friend. He provided a church family. When you were totally confused, he provided the right counselor with a clear and challenging voice to help steer you in a clear direction. God provided in the desert what he often provides, and this is supernatural. He provides a sense of joy, and he provides a sense of peace that is totally inconsistent with the circumstances that you're walking through. And this is from him. The fruit of the spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace. And you say somehow in that crazy, awful wilderness space, God provided, he provided joy and he provided peace, totally inconsistent with what I was traveling through. God provides in the desert. This was one of the purposes for the national campout. They were supposed to say, thank you for the food that we just harvested, but we want to we look back, and we want to thank you for that season in our nation's history where you provided for us bread from heaven, water from the rock. Bread from heaven, water from the rock. Never forget. Never forget how God provided for you in the desert. And that water from the rock thing, uh, the time of year that they're traveling to Jerusalem, it's late summer, and the ground is hard and the ground is parched. And as you watch these travelers going to Jerusalem for the shelter feast, the Feast of the Tabernacles, uh, they are longing for water. In fact, they're longing for two things. They're longing for water and they're longing for light. This is the fourth Angle of our conversation today, water and light. Now, I don't wanna bore you with this, but I just want to, again, just to show you where the Feast of Tabernacles falls in the calendar year. Uh, Passover is spring, Pentecost is spring, Tabernacles is autumn. Now, in Israel, it doesn't rain much during the summer at all. So you get to mid-autumn, let's say, very end of September, very beginning of uh, October, uh, the streams up in the mountains, they were gushing streams, and now they're just these tiny, almost down to nothing. People would channel water into a hole in the ground, it called a cistern, and it was like a water storage tank. The cistern was getting lower and lower and lower, and the ground is like It rock hard. You can even plow this ground. And so something that's happening at the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles is that you're longing for God. You're pleading with God to send the rain. A second thing that's happening as you move toward fall is that the days are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And I do not have to explain this to you. you. You know what I'm saying? June, late June, It's like, it gets light a little bit after 6 o'clock in the morning, and it is still light at like 9.30 at night. Hmm, mid-December? Hmm, mid-December? We get daylight between like 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock. And so they're longing for the longer days. And so what's it like as you travel to the Feast of the Tabernacles? It's dry and it's dark. It's dry and it's dark. And so two of the ceremonies that evolved over time that were in play when Jesus was in Jerusalem in the first century, one was the water festival. And the water festival was a really big deal during the Feast of the Tabernacle. So just an image here of water gushing out of a jar. This was the water festival, and they'd do this drill every day during the Feast of the Tabernacles, a schematic of the city of Jerusalem here. Up above on the hill, you have the temple. A parade of priests, a procession of priests would leave the temple area, go lower and lower and lower and lower down to a pool called the Pool of Siloam, fed by a reservoir, and they would get a container of water, and they would hoof it all the way back up to the temple area. Now, it wasn't. It wasn't just a few priests doing this. It was like a parade, and people would gather around on the street waiting for the priest to go by. They would wave palm branches, and this was the water ceremony. The priest gets all the way back up to the top of the hill in the temple to the altar, and they would pour out this water on the altar in Jerusalem, and it was just this prayer that God would restore the rain that rain would fall once again that god would moisten the ground that the streams would overflow that the ground would be softened by the rain it was this water ceremony was a daily prayer that god would restore the rain and there was a light ceremony that took place just during the feast of the tabernacles there was this court called the court of the women and in the court of the women there were 4 really high poles and on each pole, there were four separate candelabra filled with olive oil and large wicks. So that would be 16 different candelabra. Now, this is a day where you don't have streetlights. This is a day with no electricity. This is a day where most people lit their evenings with a tiny little handheld clay lamp or at most a torch when they lit up all those 16 cam- candelabras at once in the lighting ceremony, there was nothing else like that in your world. And what it may have looked like at night was something like this, where the light begins to bounce off the yellow sandstone. And it was, it was awe-inspiring. There's the, 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 the water ceremony because you're... Uh, land is parched and you want God to bring the rain. And there was a lighting ceremony anticipating longer days to come at the end of winter. How are things? Dry and dark. Water ceremony, light ceremony. Jesus was there. Did you know that? Jesus attended the Feast of the Tabernacles. In your Bible, In John chapter 7 and 8, Jesus is at the Feast of the Tabernacles with his disciples. Probably living in a shelter out in an olive orchard or somewhere outside of town. And every day Jesus is coming into the temple area and he teaches. But on the last day of the Feast of the Tabernacles, Jesus stood up and he yelled something. During the Feast of the Tabernacles. Do you know what Jesus stood up and yelled during the Feast of the Tabernacles? Jesus stood up and he yelled this. On the last and greatest day of the Feast, Jesus stood and in a loud voice said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. This is during the feast where they did this water ceremony day after day after day. If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. It's like Jesus is saying, I am the water that you've been looking for. It's an invitation to himself. That's John chapter 7. John chapter 8. Any guesses on what imagery Jesus uses to describe himself? Light, anybody? John chapter 8 is where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I wonder if it was that moment where the lights are coming on in the temple area and Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. He would say more, I am the light of the world. If anyone follows me, that person will no longer walk in darkness, but have the light of life, will have life-giving light. I am water. I am light. I am what you've been looking for. Jesus comes as water, and Jesus comes as light. So I, I got to ask a question, and the question is, is, um, <laughs> in this season of your life, what have you been turning to or trusting in to meet the deepest thirst of your heart? in this season what what have you been turning to or trusting in to meet the deepest longing of your soul there are the usual suspects just a bit more money just a bit I have discovered something. More is never enough. (laughs) Is it just me? More is like never enough. And Jesus stood up and he yelled. And if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Money's cool. Money's cool. I don't think it can meet the deepest cry of our heart. Not for long anyway. There's other usual suspects. Uh, Affection affection, uh, the desire to be desired. Works for a while, maybe. Jesus goes, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Just success, just a little bit more success. I just want to be admired. I just want to be noticed. I just, just want to be appreciated. And Jesus says, listen, listen. I am the water you're seeking. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. I am the water, I am the light. And listen, my friends, we know darkness. And I'm just not talking about the, how dark it is out there in culture. I'm talking about the darkness in here. The darkness of self-centeredness. I am at the center of the universe. The darkness of self-centeredness and the darkness of self-righteousness where I begin to see myself as superior and others as inferior? The darkness of spiritual blindness and self-deception. My friends, we are infinitely capable of believing the lies we tell ourselves. And Jesus just says, listen, listen, I am light. I am the light of the world. If anyone follows me, you will no longer walk in darkness, but have life light the light of life. I am the water. I am the light. Where are you today? Where are you today? And some of you go, Jeff, honestly? Honestly? Dry and dark. I'm dry and dark. He knows this. And he knows you. And he invites you. He invites you to the water. He invites you to the light. He invites you to himself. When Jesus shows up at the Feast of the Tabernacles and yells in the temple area, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and I am the light of the world. What Jesus is saying is, this whole festival, this whole feast, it points to me. I am what you've been looking for. I am what you've been longing for. And he invites us, and I mean today, he invites us. He he invites us to his thirst-quenching water. He invites us to his life-giving light. He invites us to himself. He invites us to the feast. He is extending an invitation to the feast to himself, the ultimate provider and the ultimate provision. And so once again, gracious God, we just say thanks. We give thanks that we've been able to group, gather in each other's company and open your word and listen to your voice. Gracious God, fill us, meet us, continue to invite us, mold us, and shape us as we respond to your invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week.